Oh God, it's true, Lamb of God, mercy, he who is God goes by both names. And our prayer is a simple and humble one. May his spirit teach us about his mercy right now for his glory. We pray in his name. Amen. Have you seen one of these? Uh, old in my hands. This just came out a few days ago. This is the brand new, newly minted U.S. gold $1 coin. You've heard about them? Yeah. Americans have had a love-hate relationship with these coins. Don't like using them. We prefer the dollar bills, but we'll, we'll see how this one turns out. The reason I'm the owner of this is because of my friend uh, Dorothy Karskellen, who dropped, these, dropped two by this last week. You see, Dorothy, like a good church member, when she came to church last week, she read her bulletin. And she pulled out an insert in the bulletin put together by our stewardship team that noted that the new gold $1 coin does not have on it the words that we're so familiar with, in God we trust. And it's true. If you put the uh, face of the coin, and we'll put that on the screen now, please. If you put the uh, face of the coin or the back of the coin, forget about it. Oh, I knew they could do it. There it is. You look at the face of the coin. You look at the back of the coin. Neither side. No, in God we trust. What's up with that? However, if you had a magnifying glass, this charming little coin, and you turned it on its side, on the edge you just got up close enough, you would see tiny little letters inscribing our national motto in in, uh, Latin, E, Pluribus, Unum. And then you would see the words, in God we trust, as well as the year that the coin came out. But in defense of the stewardship team that said it's not on there, just this week, did you hear? Just this week, somebody or some machine made a big boo-boo in Philadelphia where one of the two national mints is. And they, they minted a whole horde of these $1 gold coins without the words, in God we trust, chiseled onto the edge. So if you go into eBay, they're going for $50 a whack now if you come across one of these. Collectors take note. All right, so if I owed you one, one of these, if I owed you one of these, that's not a very big debt, is it? Just one? If I owed you ten of these, that's still not big. A hundred? Ten thousand? Whoa. But what if I owed you a hundred and fifty-six million of these gold coins? Do you know how high that would stack? If you took every one of these coins and just stacked them one on top of the other, that, that pile would reach a over 142 million mi- 142 miles into the stratosphere. I get so excited about this dimension. Man, 142 million, that'd take you past the sun. And these would melt when they went past, so forget it. Point is, once upon a long ago time, there was a man whose debt whose debt was 156 million of these gold coins. And I have no idea how he's going to pay it off. Good luck. Open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of St. Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. We were there just a little bit earlier this morning. Find Matthew, chapter 18. Incredible story. If you don't have a Bible, you've got to pull out the pew Bible right in front of you because you don't want to miss this story. This and. A wapo of a punchline. Wait till we get to the punchline. But don't, don't look. Make, make it a surprise. Don't look. Matthew chapter 18. 
Jesus is going to tell this story. It's a New King James Version that you'll see on the screen. It's a New King James Version in your pew. And it's what I have right here, the New King James. If you have the pew Bible, the page number would be 662. So find 662. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, I've been thinking. How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How about this? Up to seven times? Whoa, Peter, you are such a magnanimous and merciful dude. You mean you are willing to forgive somebody in their lifetime, somebody in his or her lifetime, seven times in that lifetime? Ha, have mercy. Because you know what? The rabbis, it's true, time of Jesus, based on a faulty interpretation of Amos chapter 1, verse 3, the rabbis concluded you only had to forgive somebody three times. But Peter ups the ante. He wants Jesus' glowing commendation. He said, Lord, how about seven? Oh, boy, does Jesus have a surprise for Peter. Take a look at this. Verse 22. And Jesus said to Peter, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Talking about letting the hot air out of your balloon. Jesus ups the ante himself. He trumps Peter's seven with seven times 70. And then to drive his astounding point home, Jesus tells a story about a, about a debt so big, even Donald Trump would blush. Take a look at this story. Whoa. Verse 23. Therefore, here we go. Here comes the story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. It's time for an internal audit. I only want to audit those who are close to me. So, guys, get all the books out. The auditors scramble. The accountant goes to work. They add up the numbers. They bring the report in in verse 24. And when he, the king, had begun to settle accounts, because the work is done now, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I understand 10,000 talents means absolutely nothing to you and me. So what we need to do here is we need to, we need to put... Try to put those numbers into current perspective. And I wish you'd jot down a few numbers to crunch these numbers and uh, let's find out how much it really is. In fact, take out your study guide in your worship bulletin today. Brand new study guide. Pull it out because we're going to crunch the numbers. How much are 10,000 talents? Now, if you didn't get a study guide, ushers, can we do this really quickly, please? Would you make sure that everybody here gets a study guide? If you didn't get a study guide, hold your hand up. We'll make, make certain that you have one. And while they're doing that, those of you who are watching on television... Go to our website, please. Let me put it on the screen for you. www.pmchurch.tv That's our website. You're looking for the series, Mercy Came A-Runnin'. And the title of this particular teaching is, When the Debt Ratio is 600,000 to 1. When you see that title, it'll say Study Guide right beside it. Click onto that and you will have the identical study guide that we are going to fill in right now. Everybody in the balcony have one? Everyone have one? Good. Keep your hand up. The ushers are coming, but... We're going to fly anyway. How much is 10,000 talents? That's the big question. We all can understand taxes. So let's do it in terms of taxes. Pull your pen out. The, see, this, see this there? The combined total annual taxes in the time of Christ for Judea, Idumea, Samaria, Galilee, and Perea amounted to only 80, 80 talents. Right in the number 80. Whoever this fellow is has run up a bill of IOUs with the king, not for 80 talents, but for 10,000 talents. That's 1,250 times the annual taxes of the entire region of today's Israel and Palestine. 
Now, even the, even the Jewish listeners to Jesus, they're, they're not able to crunch these. These numbers are so big. All they know is that it is an astronomical amount. In fact, uh, keep your pen moving. Let's, let's just, one talent, jot this down. This is fascinating. One talent was equal to approximately 20 years of labor. Take you 20 years to pay off one talent. All right? Keep your pen moving. So 10,000 talents equaled, write it in, 200,000 years of labor. Let's put a, keep your pen moving. Let's put a dollar amount to these 10,000 talents of silver. I went on the uh, web this week to find out what the market price is for silver. It's running about $13 an ounce. Okay? So you see that in your study guide now. Let's figure it out. One talent equals 75 pounds of silver. We know that. And we want to know the ounces. So that's times 16 ounces per pound. That's 1,200 ounces for one talent. At $13 an ounce, that would be $15,600 worth for just one talent. Then we've got to multiply it by 10,000. It equals, write it down, $156 million. That stack of coins would stretch 150 miles almost into the stratosphere. Wow. And by the way, at $10, an, at 10, you're making $10 an hour? At $10 an hour, that would take you, that bill of $156 million would take you 7,800 years to pay it off. Any way you cut it, ladies and gentlemen, whichever way you wish to, to uh, slice this, 7,800 years or 200,000 years, what difference does it make? You can't pay it off. All right, let's go. Verse 24. And when he, the king, had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10 thousand talents. Verse 25. But as he was not able to pay, his master, the king, commanded that he, the servant, be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. Because there were laws in the time of Christ and in the Orient that provided for this sort of indemnity. You can't pay. All right. We're going to auction off everything you own. We're going to garnish every bit of fixed income you have. And we are going to throw you in jail and you're going to be in jail. For 200,000 years or until you die, whichever comes first. That was the deal. All right, verse 26. So, you can, you can understand the plight of this servant who responds in verse 26. The servant, therefore, fell down before the king, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I, I want you to notice very quickly, he did not say, have mercy on me. It's the same language of the Syrophoenician mother, just back in chapter 15, where she falls, same Greek word, she falls to her knees. He does too, but he does not ask for mercy. Ask for mercy. He should have, but he did. You know what he asked for? Give me enough time. Just give me some more time. If you give me a little more time, I am going to be able, oh, your highness, I shall be able to pay you off every penny. Do you, know, do you know what? Sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, you and I with God sound like the very same blubbering servant that Jesus describes here in his story. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I don't know what got into me. I'll never do it again. I promise I'll never do it again. I'm going to make it up to you, God. Just give me one more chance. I'm begging for time. I tell you what, God, I really can't change. If you give me enough time, I'll balance the books. I'll come up with that payment. Just give me time, dear Lord. And we sob before God. I do not wish to make light of the times we sob before God. God knows what it does to our hearts. However, however, come on, think. You can understand that when we begin to barter with God and behave as if we had it in our own power to extricate ourselves out of the horrible pit of sin, you can understand, God, just, I can change. 
I'm going to change. I'm going to change. Trust me, I'll change. You understand that we begin to sound like this blithering servant who's trying to cut a deal. Give me some more time. All right, boy, how much time do you need? About 200,000 years, your highness and I can do it. See how, see how dumb it is? You can't do it. The point is, and would you write this down, please, in your study guide? You and I are infinitely, indefinitely, and impossibly indebted to God. <laughs> How tragic and ridiculous are desperate efforts to extricate ourselves, to become our own saviors. I can get over this. Given enough time, I'm surely going to be able to pay you off, God. <laughs> what a fool I am. What a fool I am. All right, well, look at this, verse 27. Then the master, that would be the king, of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him. I'm going to insert a word. And forgave him the entire, the entire debt. Just like that, would you write it down? Just like that, Calvary has canceled our debt. That's what Calvary did. In fact, keep your pen moving. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Look at it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes, write it in, He became poor, so that through His poverty, you might become rich. Write it down. You remember the words of Robert Robinson? Oh, to grace, fill it in. Oh, to grace, how great a what? Say it out loud. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind me closer, Lord, to thee. I'm telling you what, guys. A huge bill. Huge debt. Wiped out at Calvary. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. I wish the story ended right there, but unfortunately it doesn't. Read on. Verse 28. But, okay, so that's all over now. But that servant went out. I tell you what, he is whistling like he has never whistled in his life before. The sky is bluer. The air is fresher. The birds are sweeter. The grass is greener. I'm alive. And 200,000 years of hard labor just got wiped off my account. You ought to be singing. You should be whistling. And he is. Until... Until, But the servant went out in verse 28, and he found one of his fellow servants, uh uh-oh, who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me, you pay me what you owe. Ignoring the astonishing behavior of this just forgiven servant for a moment. Let's calculate how much this fellow servant owes him, all right? Get your pen moving again. One talent, jot this down. One talent equals 6,000 denarii. So we have 10,000 talents, so 10,000 times 6,000 equals 60 million denarii. That's what he got forgiven by the king. This buddy of his owes him 100 denarii. Jot it down. That is a debt ratio of 600,000 to 1. 600,000 to 1. We can do it another way. Keep your pen moving. One talent equals 20 years of labor. We've already established that. 
So 20 years of labor times 10,000, that would be those 200,000 years of labor that we've been talking about at 300 days a year. So you're going you're to have holy days off. Come on. Holy days off. That would total 60 million days of labor. That's what he just got forgiven from the king. Now, his buddy owes him 100 days of labor. There it is again, a debt ratio of 600,000 to one, i.e., the debt of the servant who is being throttled. He's being throttled by the guy that's just been forgiven. That debt is one 600,000th of the debt of the man that just got that whole debt wiped out. I repeat, the debt ratio is 600,000 to one. You can't believe this. Look at verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Ladies and gentlemen, please note that these words ought to sound more than vaguely familiar to the servant who is standing, towering over his pleading bro. You know why? Because Jesus made sure when he told the story that the words of the begging servant on the ground are identical to the words of the servant before the king. Identical words. Have patience with me. I'll pay you back. Now, those words in the throne room touch a heart of mercy. What happens when these words are spoken here? Hmm? Uh, And he would not. This is so sad. Verse 30. And he would not. But went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. And they came and told their master, the king, all that had been done. And then his master, after he had called that servant back to the throne room, said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not, verse 33, have also had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? Verse 34, and his master was angry, and he delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Punchline now, verse 35. So, Jesus concludes, my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. The end. The end. Can you believe that? The moral of the story, write it down. Freely you have received. Freely give. Jesus' words in Matthew 10, verse 8. Keep your pen moving. The words of the king in the message. I like the way the message renders the king's point just a moment ago. Inescapably clear. Write this down. You evil servant. I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Write in the word mercy. See, mercy is what, what's at issue here. You beg me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? Which being interpreted means keep your pen moving. Freely you have received mercy from God. Freely. Therefore, give mercy to all. Freely you've received. Freely give. I happen to know. And some of you here this morning, some of you watching on television right now, some of you have been severely wounded at the hands of another human being. The pain you have suffered is so sharp. It is so keen. 
It is so close to the surface that it literally throbs in every waking activity of your life. That pain. And you don't want to let it go. Something deep inside of you is crying out, i got to have vengeance on this one. And so you, you forgive. You refuse to forgive. So hurtful a wound. So evil a wounder like that. My friend, in the name of mercy, in the name of mercy, let it go. For you are only killing yourself. Harold Kushner. You heard of Harold Kushner? Best-selling rabbi, author. Tells in, in, in Simon Wiesenthal's book, Sunflower, he writes an essay there. And, and Kushner tells of a time when one of his women parishioners came to him. So I'm, that's the moment. She's come in to see her pastor, the rabbi. He describes it now. She is, she is a single mother, divorced, working to support herself and three young children. And she says to me, listen to this. Since my husband walked out on us, every month is a struggle to pay our bills. I have to tell my kids we have no money to go to the movies while he's living it up with his new wife in another state. How can you tell me to forgive him? I answer her. I am not asking you to forgive him because what he did to you was acceptable. It wasn't. It was mean and selfish. I am asking you to forgive because he doesn't deserve the power to live in your head and turn you into a bitter, angry woman. I'd like to see him out of your life emotionally as completely as he is out of your life physically, but you keep holding on to him. You're not hurting him by holding on to that resentment. You are hurting yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, I remind you that at Calvary, Mercy has come a-running for all of us and has forgiven all of us of all our sins, bar none. 200,000 years of hell and hard labor have been wiped out by that quivering prayer, Father, forgive all of them. Forgive all of them. They don't know what they are doing. For mercy we have all freely received. For mercy, therefore, we must all freely give. Forgive him. Forgive her. She did not know what she was doing to me. He did not know. Oh, God. A prayer of mercy upon the cross must become the prayer of the mercy that comes running through you. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Freely you've received. Now, now, please, 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 freely give. With your permission, here in closing. I'd like to follow a a rather unexpected twist in this tale. In fact, would you jot this down, please? Freely you have received, freely give. In terms of mercy, yep, in terms of mercy. But also, jot this down, but also in works of mercy. Not just the terms of mercy, in works of mercy. In the works of mercy for the poor. Two Sundays ago in my Sunday paper. Boy, this caught my eye. Let me share this with you. Take a look at this headline. Can you see this? This is the Sunday paper two weeks ago tomorrow. All right. Here's the headline. You see it? Record numbers are in severe poverty. 
Keep your study guide right there because I want to give you some stats and you fill these in. Let me just read, up, read the preamble. Dateline, Washington. The percentage of poor Americans who are living in severe poverty has reached a 32-year high. Millions of working Americans are falling closer to the poverty line and the gulf between the nations has and have-nots continues to widen. Do you understand that just this week, Forbes, a Forbes magazine has come out with the 500 wealthiest human beings in the world. And they are only getting wealthier. What this headline is telling us is that the poor in the same world and at the same time are only getting poorer. Unless you are an incorrigible capitalist. That should bother you. That should bother you. All right. Jot it down. No, no, let me read these numbers. It's in your study guide. Nearly 16 million Americans. Would you write that number in? Nearly 16 million. 16 million Americans are living in deep or severe poverty. By the way, let me just hit the pause button. You know what that is? A family of four with two children and an annual income. Get this. An annual income of less than $9,903. There are actually Americans living on less than $9,903 a year. Family of four. Family of four. Nearly 16 million Americans are living in deep or severe poverty. Keep, keep your pen moving. The share of poor Americans in deep poverty has climbed slowly but steadily over the last three decades. But since 2000, hold on now, the number of severely poor, and this is quoting the American Journal of Preventative Medicine, the number of severely poor has grown more than any other segment of the population. The fastest growing dem- demographic slice in America are the severely poor. Not the marginally poor, the severely poor. They're growing faster than anybody else. What does that tell you about this? What does that tell you? What does that tell you? One in three, jot this down. One in three severely poor people are under 17. Isn't that amazing? Under 17. High schoolers are younger. And nearly two out of three are female. Female headed families with children account for a large, write it in, share of the severely poor. Say, oh, come on, come on, Dwight, come on, Pastor. I, I don't know any poor people. I don't know any, I don't know any fatherless children. I mean, you know, I gotta just live my life. What do you mean you don't know any poor people? You know poor people. We got them right here. And we got them 12 miles up the road in a, in a little inner city called Benton Harbor, Michigan. Ever heard of that place? We got the poor living on our very doorsteps. I got a, an, an anguished letter. I'm not even gonna quote from this letter. Anguished. The writer writing to me, she's working at our Harbor of Hope Church, our little church that we planted up there. And she's writing, it's 4.30 in the morning and the Lord has impressed me to write to you. And then she tells me two pages worth of stories. And she's saying, Pastor, you have got to plead with our home church at Pioneer and Andrews to help us, please. And you know what she quotes? She quotes, she quotes the scripture right back into my face. Hosea 6, verse 6. Don't you understand what this means? I delight in mercy, not sacrifice. Where was the mercy? We're dying up here without help. I read that letter. And I said to myself, oh boy. How can I be preaching my heart out on God's appeal to have mercy on the human race and not, and not for you and me, have a moment when we stretch out of our Terribly comfortable comfort zone 
And remember that less than 12 miles up the road, some of the severely, the highest, the fastest growing demographic slice in America is right up the road. Severely poor. Severely poor. Have you ever gone to a house in Benton Harbor? We've got 120 kids who are going this afternoon to a house in Benton Harbor. You go sometime. You look at that home and you tell me, is that not severely poor? I came across these words written 100 years ago in that classic on the Sermon on the Mount. Thoughts on the Mount of Blessing. You have to fill in two very key words. Take a look at that in your study guide. Very frank appeal, isn't this? So also with the gifts and blessings of this life. You've got them and I do. Whatever you may possess above your fellows places you in debt. Write it in. Whatever you have that's more than somebody else places you in debt to that degree to all who are less Favored. Have we wealth? And all of us are saying in our hearts, nope, 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 not me. I understand that. We're a very poor church. <laughs> Have we wealth? Nope. Or even the comforts of life. How many have a very comfortable dormitory room? Don't put your hands up. Don't put your hands up. Come on, we got the comforts of life here. I've seen some of these homes in the community. We've got the comforts of life. Andrew's employees have the comforts of life. Trust me, we have the comforts of life. You're not wealthy, I understand, nor am I. But you have the comforts of life. Have we wealth or even the comforts of life? Then we are under the most solemn obligation to care for the suffering sick, the widow, and the fatherless. And here comes the punchline. Exactly. Write it in. Exactly as we would desire them to care for us were our conditions and theirs to be reversed. If I'm living in Benton Harbor and you're living in Andrews University, I would beg in the name of mercy for somebody to come up this street. Because my boyfriend's in jail. I got two kids. And does not anybody care? What are you, a Christian college down the road? Is that true? If our tables were reversed... Wouldn't you want me to come to you if you were in Benton Harbor? But of course you would. You know what I wish? No, you're going to be mad at me for saying this. I wish a hundred of you would pull up stakes in this church and move up there. You don't have to move your house. Just move your body on Sabbath up there. One hundred of you. Oh, it would be tough. It would be rough on you and be rough on us. But God would empower you there. And do you know what? He would replace you here. Not a one of us is irreplaceable. He'd find somebody else. If a hundred of these seats just now went empty and you moved up to start worshiping in the little harbor of Hope Church, number one, they would rise up and call you blessed. They would rise up and call you blessed. You'd be the most, uh, you'd be a hero in a whole lot of books because they are battling alone. So number one, they would be so tickled. But number two, God, through you, would send mercy a running. So come on, man. I gotta, I, I gotta have all this. I gotta have this. Yeah, really. What good is all this if I stay here week after week after week after week and I never let mercy run through me? That's not good at all. I wish a hundred of you. I wish a hundred of you would pull up your stakes and move up there. So, ah, what could I do in that? You know, you, you know what you could do. They got a kitchen up there where they provide food for those who come on Sabbath. If nothing else, you could help in the kitchen. You can meet with my friend, Pastor Frank Yap. 
8 to 9, 8 to 9 in the morning, he's praying that God will clean up this place and make it a haven, a harbor of hope for people who will walk through these doors. we got kids who need a role model in an adult that will not abuse them. An adult that will love them and give them hugs and only mean by that hug, I love you as a child of God. we got a church in need up there, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. What I'm trying to do is, I'll bet you there are a hundred of you here who could rise up and go up there and help us up there. Our students are going out this afternoon at three o'clock. Why don't you go up with them? Why don't you just, you're a student here, go, go along. Jump on the bus. You weren't going to be doing anything else anyway. Jump on the bus. Walk the streets of Benton Harbor. That's all you have to do. Look into one of those severe poverty homes and ask yourself the question. I have the comforts of life. What could I be doing? I can't give anything. They're taking every penny I have here at the university, but I can give time. I can give them myself. I can give them my energy. Just the next two Sabbaths, spring break, take them off. Don't come here. Go up there. Check it out. Just, just show up in the Harbor of Hope Church. It'd be tough to lose you. But God can replace you Here. Because you know what? This is how it works. When you empty the pews here, others come. That's how the kingdom grows. We only grow when we're seeking to grow. We're saying, bring it on, bring it on. Give me another one. Give me another big Sabbath here, man. I'm happy. As long as you give me, keep giving me this Sabbath, I'll be just fine. Thank you. We'll never grow. We'll saturate and then stagnate. It's called the Dead Sea Principle. When the water flows into a body... The water needs to come back out. If the water cannot come out, the water that flows into a body, it will grow stagnant. The Dead Sea is the deadest sea on earth because it has no outlet. It just keeps everything it gets. It just sucks it up. If I'm just sucking it up, I'll die. Mercy has to come running through me. What did we we read just a moment ago? Whatever you may possess above your fellows places you in debt to that degree to all who are less favored. Have we wealth or even the comforts of life then we're under the most solemn obligation to care for the suffering sick, the widow, the fatherless, exactly as we would desire them to care for us where our condition in theirs to be reversed. You know what? Would you like to experiment? Just don't don't go up there. Don't make a, a life commitment yet. We have a way that we would love to have you experiment. It's in your bulletin today. Escaping the Matrix. That's the theme of our evangelistic series beginning in three weeks up in Benton Harbor. Escaping the Matrix. Would you take this out? Say, hey, I could do that. I could help. Just check it out. Try it. Just try it. Don't, don't make a life commitment. Just come up here and visit with us. Try it. Say, I could help. Fill this out. Give it to me. Give it to Skip. Give it to any of our pastors. Give it to anybody. Just say, I'd be willing to come up after spring break. I'd be willing to go up there and help just a little. Try it. Just try it. Oh, Jesus says, I, for I say unto you, for I say unto you, freely you've received from me. Now, please, freely in my name, give to them. Please, in the name of mercy, give to them. Let us stand as we pray the benediction. Holy Father, mercy came a run unto us. 200,000 years of hard labor wiped out with a wave of Calvary's hand. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I beg of you, forgive them. Take my death and place it to their account. Forgive them. Please.
We just walked out of the palace this morning. We're walking out of the palace. The sky could not be bluer, knowing that our debt has been erased. The air couldn't be fresher. The birds couldn't be sweeter. It is so great to be alive. Our debt has been forgiven. Oh, Father, please don't let the story Jesus told turn into our story too. Don't let us drive by Benton Harbor and not respond. Don't let us sleep comfortably if mercy is bottled up in our Dead Sea hearts. Please, Father, for the sake of our salvation, we've got to let it go. Let that water out. Let mercy flow through us. I don't know what you want for him. I don't know what you want for her. I know what you're asking from me. And we're standing before you and we're humbly asking of you that you would give us the courage, having been forgiven that massive debt, please give us the courage, freely receiving as we have, to now freely give on behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let all the people say, Amen and Amen.